Welcome to The Row Show. We are your hosts, Jake Green and Lawrence Britton. Today we had the pleasure of speaking to South African rowing coach Andrew Grant, better known as AJ. He is the backbone behind many South African successes in the rowing boat and a driving force towards Tokyo. Not only will we cover the many insights he has gathered along the way, but also speak to him about his journey as an athlete before coaching. Above all, we learn that there's much that happens behind every performance and on every journey. And today we really get a look at the hard yards that happen long before the glory. If you're enjoying the show, let us know about it. Leave your comments below or email us at theroshowsa at gmail.com. That's theroshowsa at gmail.com. Or you can find us on uh, Twitter or Instagram. Uh, our handles are all in the show notes below and any links that you want are in the, in the show notes below. Uh, but mine is uh, at Britain underscore L. And Jakey? Mine is Jake Moulton Green, one word, lowercase. Winner, winner. Yeah, give us your thoughts and uh, let us know. Enjoy the show. Welcome to The Row Show. We are your hosts, Lawrence Britton. And Jake Green. This is a podcast where we're going to be going into everything related to sport and performance. And we're also going to talk a bit about rowing. In South Africa. It brings people together, it breaks down barriers. My passion Winning. is to be the best. Being the best is something we strive for. There's a crucial role as High Fit. Compassion. Great. Passion. Fiction. Gold. Ultimate goal. Glory. Relentless training. Pain. Pain. <laughs> Welcome to this road show, AJ. Thanks for giving us your time. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, it's going to be cool. I think we're going to get into some really cool stuff about your rowing and uh, your coaching. But uh, let's let's head right back to the beginning when you raced for school, and we know the story of uh, of when you you had a shot at uh, SA champs and the the, the schoolboy age record. Won't you tell us a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah, that one still stings to this day. Um, we were actually unbeaten that season, except for the race, which in those days was Transvaal champs, nineteen ninety four. Conditions were right, storm came through, and we were just ahead of it, and uh, the UK's Desartoy crew beat us, I think, by just under a canvas, and I think that's five, that magic number of 550.2, <laughs> and uh, every time I look at a schoolboy program or anything, and I see that record, it's, it's burnt me ever since. Yeah, um, no, that's a, <laughs> that's a tough one to, to swallow, so, yeah. and then, so what, what boat are you racing then? In 1994, we were blessed to have a new a new empire, actually. Taita was its name. I think it's an octopus nowadays. Yeah, we we unwrapped that boat, I think, on January camp in 94. Okay, so you yeah. just used that brand new boat, five-stay five aluminium? Yeah, five-stay aluminium. Yeah, empire. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And normal cleaver oars as well? No, um, that was the last year that we, we raced with Macons. So cleavers came in. We raced with cleavers at juniors once those teams had been selected, but at schoolboy level, we still race with Macons. Yes, the conditions must have been perfect though, because yeah. to race 550 in Macons in Mac with Macon oars is, is pretty insane. Yeah, I mean, it's debatable. You know, maybe there's not such a difference. Um, you know, we all rode cleavers yeah. now, so there's no way of knowing really. But I think if you rode the, the Macon well, you could still go really fast, even if you look back at some times. From international stuff, you know, there was some very quick crews around. So after after your rowing in school, you went, you raced for a couple of years for rows and at the bed, at their at their peak, um, you were part of that record ten wins. Tell us a bit about what it was like racing there. 
Yeah, Rhodes had a really good thing going. Um, at the time that I joined, they had Andy Mack, uh, Jerry Ashton, and the Hartley brothers that had just been to to seniors in a Coxes Four. And there was there was just some really good guys around, and obviously the culture at, at Rhodes was was really strong. Uh, we trained very hard for both trace, and um, yeah, it was just a really strong club. I was lucky enough to get a small bursary that covered a little bit of my my studies down there. I just loved it. I studied human movements, um, and I, I grew to love Graham's time. I still get goosebumps driving through the place. And the and the culture tell us about like were there any insights that you guys had there that you felt were made you better than everyone else. There was just a sense of discipline that we, you know, we wanted to train harder than everyone else. We were lucky enough to be training on the Kawi. I guess the culture developed from there and slowly the results came. But it came from hard work, as do most things. So there was some pedigree, um, but but also, the you know, the, the guys that were in the eights, um, the rest of them were all really well-trained and, you know, really solid club oarsmen took their own very seriously. So, you know, it was, it was, it was a great combo. Yeah, I think that's like the basis of, of any uh, strong club is like just the attitude attitude towards training is, is really good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where then you can string multiple years of, of good performance together when the culture of training is right. Because you can always get like a couple of good guys and do well for a year or two, but to do well for, yeah. for 10 years is, that's where you have to, the, there's a lot of other things that have to be right there. Yeah. Uh, funny story, um we used to meet at Cave Gates, which is basically outside the hall at um, in, in Grahamstown. If you were late, you took one beating from each of your crew. Oh, so the beating with a stokey or something. I, I can't, I can't remember. I think it was a. I don't think it was a cricket bat. I think it was probably a tacky or something. So, <laughs> <laughs> I remember. I remember having the fear, you know, after a late night at the Rat and realizing that. You actually might be late. You're just having the absolute fear. So you got out of bed. Didn't stop us having to pick a few guys up around Grahamstown. The nice thing, nice thing about Grahamstown is you just see the guy's car nice where it's small. parked and you find it. <laughs> that reminds me of that um, times. Yeah. with uh, the story about the, the, the QE8, the men's 8. Like, uh, yes. uh, I think it's in the last two or three years. It's like two pulling when a they, When they were late, so obviously they couldn't beat each other. But when they were late, they, they had to pull Herb Charles, the people that were late. So also yeah. big incentive. It's, I think it's important to have a structure like an eight because there's too many people. Whereas yeah. if you're in a pair or something, it's it's a bit more forgiving. But mm. in the big boat, you have to have a lot of of, of structure and routine. Otherwise, it's it just gets out of hand. Definitely. So was so was the SA team sort of based in in Grahamstown or was it still up here in, in Pretoria or? Because well, it sounds like a lot of the national team were down in in, in Grahamstown. Yeah, look in the early days, there were, you know, there wasn't too much of a national team as such, to be to be honest. But the team started to to build up in Joburg, and that being Ramon and Dom. Yeah, yeah. And from there, once I left Vasti, I tried to join on to that. Because did you come back? I came back. You came up to, to Joburg, up to Joburg to to, to race and train, okay. and I wanted to tour internationally. Okay. Yeah. And you raced in the single quite a bit then? Yeah, I only raced um, World Champs in 99 in St. Catharines in the single. Um, I was basically the spare for Ramon and, and Don and was just praying that someone else would get up to the standard and we could make possibly a Coxless 4 or whether I could take one of them out. Yeah. But unfortunately, by the time they, they were an established combination and uh, if I was in the risk, 
because it was working. I mean, yeah. they, they were seventh, I think, their first year. The next year, they were in the A final, and from there, they started moving into the medals. It was a, a very good combination. And at the time, were there, were there any possibilities of setting for a cross, like you said? Were there a couple of guys around the, the edges of the potential of going there? It, it's funny, the timing wasn't great, because my, my back basically bombed out, and... Um, I had to stop, but Luke Hartley trained really hard after that in the single as well. Um, so the, I, I guess if all went, maybe Luke would have been around earlier, yeah. would have worked out, or maybe we could have brought in another, in another pair. But the, the, just the structure <laughs> of the team is very different though, to exactly. how we see it yeah. now. Like now, it's 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 sort of open every year, and the mm. combinations get rechosen every year. Whereas I think back then it was more sort of each or almost individual. Yeah. I think also the standard of rowing has improved so much. So, you know, there's so few people that were at the standard. Um, whereas now, you know, you have kids coming out of school and and under 23 performances, which are right up there. So there's there's a even though it seems that there's not a lot of people around still, there were even less there, you know, and and certainly no system to speak of as such. You know, Christian was very focused on the pair, and he did an, an amazing job with him. And with the women's pair and with myself in the single. And of course, the lightweight four. The lightweight program was, was really strong. So AJ, you spoke about your, your back injury briefly there. Can you just explain to us like, you know, what, what happened and what did you have done on your back to sort it out? Because we know it's a very common rose injury and we do a lot these days to try and prevent that from happening. Um, my back injury was actually quite uncommon in that it was a thoracic disc. So, Surgery was a little bit more complicated, so I kind of I, I kind of had to wait to see if it would settle down because um, the risk of doing surgery was, was, was really high. No, put it this way, it was invasive because on the normal procedure, they would open your rib cage, they would go through the front and all that kind of thing. So I ended up finding a, a surgeon that did a, what a microsurgery. It's a laminectomy, but a transpedicular approach. So basically going from the back they go through a part of your vertebra and they clean it out that way, which I thought was great. Unfortunately, it, it, even though it was less invasive, I did have some slight symptoms after that. They obviously just may just touch the nerve slightly or whatever the case may be, but I and I really struggled after that up, funny enough. Um, so that was that was a lot to deal with. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Um, so did you have a lot of like back problems when you were younger though, or like building up to it? Did it take you a long time to get to that point of needing the surgery? I think it was just the combination. I think I was predisposed to it. Um, that part of my spine had a great posture there. And I think, you know, Roger's got the analogy of if you keep hammering your, your finger in the door, it, it's going to get sore. You know, and, and, and when you're rowing and you, you do have a predisposition or you do have a bit of pain, you're going to cause damage. And I think... I was managing it a lot with physio, we had a really good, um, but it was a personal physio um, who really helped me a lot, but you know, eventually, you know, you, you take strain and I think there was enough pain and I had enough neural symptoms to have, to do that up, but it didn't really work out the way I'd hoped. I, I hoped it was just going to be yeah, done deal and, and I'll be back into it, yeah, yeah. But then, so, so obviously then that back, the back problems caused carried on and, and, and then you, you had to stop rowing and then is that when you start coaching it straight away or do you, were you already coaching a bit before? Yeah, so maybe it was fate, but basically I decided, um, you know, obviously I was missing the rowing and I was told that I needed to take 
a year or so just to slowly get myself back on the rails. So I advertised on the internet that I was available to coach. And um, by chance, someone had seen it um, at Radley College in the UK. Harry Mann, who had been working with the South African team with Christian, obviously a legend in, in, in his own, consulted to Radley College. So the person who had seen the ad asked Harry, listen, do you know this guy? Um, he's looking for some coaching work. Maybe we can give him a stooging job at, at Radley um, and he can coach our juniors. And Harry said, yeah, no, and he's a good guy. Bring him over. Let's, and, and I must say, Harry did plant a lot of love for coaching because he was just, he was an amazing guy. He was the guy who finished off that uh, GB8 that won in 2000. Okay. Back in Black. Yeah, GB8. Yeah, because if you watch that um, Back in Black video, those 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 eight guys rode so well. I think it's one of the best technical eights I've seen. Mm. Just slick and flowing and he taught that really well. Yeah. And then what was the, how long did you coach at Bradley for? I was just there for one season. Um, and then I came back and I decided that I was going to, I needed to grow up and, and earn a living, etc. And I somehow ended up working for a Japanese trading company exporting foodstuffs. Don't ask me why. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, that's what I did. And I, I must say, I did enjoy it and I learned a lot of it. The bug was there, you know, and my first crew... My first crew was in 2004, I coached a student crew that went to Breve. And from then, I, I, I haven't stopped. I've coached every international season since then. Since then, okay. yeah. Well, so yeah, I, I, I committed to coaching by becoming a teacher because I knew that it would be the way for me yes. to move forward. Yeah. yeah. So you actually had some, you missed about what, four years there of yeah. knowing completely. Yeah, yeah. This was quite anyway. a big bug to get you back in. To move from a rower to a coach. I think you need to go through some some time of reflection. As a rower, it's all about you. You know, whereas in coaching it's not about you, it's about the athletes and the crews. Yeah. And I think it gives you a different for perspective. Me, if I'd carried on too early, it would have been more about me, which which might have limited my coaching in the long run. Yeah, but you've got to go through that transition of of yeah. of that of shifting the focus and yeah and the thought process as well. And also for me, just to let go of the dream that I had yes. to be a successful rower that took time yeah, to I'm go through it and, I, and it was probably good to just get away completely for a little while and then you landed yourself at Kez you chat a bit about that you had yeah. some great years there at Kez actually yeah, good ones. yeah I worked there for six years um, great times as well I learned so much from from other teachers um um, I found the, the rowing, getting the rowing club up and going was, was extremely challenging for me, but... So were they struggling quite a bit when you, when you joined them? I think so, yes. The club gradually got momentum, um, but it, it wasn't without hard work. It was, it was very difficult. There's a lot of things that stand in your way in those big schools as well. You know, rugby pre-season. Um, rowing is a minion sport, really. Yeah. You know, it really, it, it, it is, but... Um, um, and it's nice to see kids doing well again. Yeah, because um, they actually have a good shot of, of winning SA Champs. Yeah, they're two very successful seasons. So then, so obviously you went to, to school at Saints, uh, Saints Students, and then you, you, you taught at kids for so long. Like, yeah. Where do your allegiance lie on the, <laughs> on the big days? 
Ja, einer der Three Seasons at St. Andrews College. Oh, yeah, ja, <laughs> um, yeah, look, I think your roots always lie in your own school. Um, uh, but you appreciate the other schools for what they are. Mm. Um, I must say, yeah, I still consider myself a Saints boy. But I, I, I regard Kez and St. Andrews as, as, as very, very good boys' schools. Yeah. And then, you know, shortly afterwards, you started getting involved in South African rowing. So that I just slowly took over some of the crews that the academy system and Roger were, were developing. 2007, again, I coached juniors. 2008, funny enough, I, I coached the, the Para 4. I was sort of a consultant to Adrian Higgins. And then 2010, you, you, you picked up me and, me and Johnny. <laughs> yeah, that was... Yeah. Well, was South Africa's first goal at a championship event. That must have been Yeah, that was, it was amazing. Uh, that, that regatta still brings tears to my eyes. Um, great story, shall I get into it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah please, please, please get into your stories. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the first story was that... Um, We had quite a long layover. I think it was in Abu Dhabi. And I remember lying in a, in a lounge. We'd organized a, a prepaid lounge so that the guys could just relax between flights. Yeah, because I think had eight hours there. Mm. And I was lying down and I, just, I was asleep. And John tapped me on the shoulder and he, and he said to me, AJ, is it bad if I've lost my passport? <laughs> <laughs> in a foreign country. Yeah. In the Middle East, I was like, um, yes, it is bad, John. So then we obviously started rallying around trying to get hold of this passport. But the, the bad news was that the plane had already left for the States. Because he had left, uh, left it in the little pouch in front of the chair there. Yeah, and it was gone. And it was halfway to the States by the time we realized. <laughs> anyway, to cut a long story short... Um, John and I spent the next, I think it was three nights in that airport um, between Abu Dhabi and South Africa in transit, basically. What's that movie called? Yeah, uh, Terminal. Terminal. We tried to do some exercise. I, we found a little room there where you could do some jumps and like, I think there was an exercise bicycle. No, I remember him telling me that he was the first day they didn't find the, the gym and then so they, he was doing laps in the airport. He was put the trust in, <laughs> <running here. laughs> in the terminal. Oh, yeah, man. and obviously we ran out of clothes, so we had to go and buy like duty free, like <laughs> Calvin Klein <laughs> underwear. <laughs> That's amazing. What oh, were your feelings? For, were you, I mean, I'm sure you must have been angry, but I mean, it's a difficult situation because you have such a big competition yeah. coming up, you still have to keep your. Yeah, we kept our cool for sure. I mean, I actually, I don't know why I wasn't that angry. I should have been probably, but I guess you just, you know, you just have to contain it. And there's also nothing sense. you can do at that point. Yeah, exactly. So there's, there's no point in, in getting upset because I remember what happened is I got sent. So there was the the girls pair, Kirsten in the single, and me, and then uh, Ben was the other coach, and then we just carried on our trip and we went all the way back. Uh, we went carried on to to Belarus and. AJ and John stayed in the airport and I got to the venue boats there no one to row with, so I just sat to the ergo for three days that's so yeah. terrible and then how many the, days did you have have to go when you got there yeah we arrived the day before we rode the once the, the day, day before the heat. heat yeah we arrived they rode once and they were like yeah no 
yeah, it's, it feels good, H, no problems. So I was like, okay, awesome, we've nailed it. Come down the next morning. No, no so we rode no, no. in the morning and we were happy. So John yes. again got there, we rode and we were happy. But I think we were just like so excited to get back in the boat. It didn't even like cross our mind. Yeah, like, so it didn't no matter. Thing. And then the afternoon we rode and it was a mess. So the, the heats were on Thursday. We had the whole of Wednesday. Basically, we arrived Tuesday night. So we rigged up in the morning. We rode and they were like, no, it's, it's good. It's good. Then we came down to the water in the afternoon. And they were like, this boat feels terrible. There's something wrong. Like, I remember this rig, we'd row like 100 meters, pull to the side of the course. AJ would fix something, pull over another 100 meters, come back. And it was just getting worse and, and worse. The reason it was so difficult is because they were rowing the Empacher here. And then we had to race the F-17. So it wasn't... Felipe, Felipe. So it wasn't exactly the same. So, you know, there's always some slight differences. Anyway, it ended up... Um, AJ told us to go home. I told we him, rode about yeah, one lap. I was mad. Did, well, the tension I was like, did you hit your limit there, AJ? After the fast forward and now this. Yeah, I was like, you guys, you said everything was okay this morning. And now, <laughs> now, now it's a nightmare. So let's just sort this out. So I basically went through the boat again. It took me about two hours. And, um, and thankfully they arrived the next morning for the pre-race paddle. And they were like, no, remember, we touched things. off the jetty and we straight touching off the jetty, we could feel, I was like, the boat's right. Yeah. This, is, this thing is better. Yeah. But that night before must have been a, a quite a hectic night. Yeah. Get much sleep in. Yeah, I was just praying that, because uh, I did find something and I just prayed that that's what yeah. it Yeah. I think John's footboard was up to two centimeters out. So the timing was just, they just weren't feeling good off the back end. And that's why John knew when he touched out. Yeah. No, we could it feel it just, and it was yeah. crazy. I mean, like, obviously you guys knew you were, you were quick going. But we didn't, we didn't really know though, because like John had raced the lightweight pair lot the, the, in the year before in 2009 with Matt, and I'd raced a heavy pair with Marie, and we, none of us, we both, I think Matt's finished fourth, Matt and John finished fourth, and we finished seventh. So we, I knew we were quicker than we were the year before, because you're not really, you know, not you, sure. it's not like senior racing, you're racing all the time, you've, you haven't raced anyone the whole season, and then you have to go there and, and test it out so yeah yeah i think it was a perfect combination because the guys weren't complacent they they knew they knew that they had a shot to be in the race so i think that was the mindset we knew at home we had a very good preparation in zanin i mean we had an amazing camp it was really going well and we could spar with the junior cox four so we had really good training partners yeah there was just that hunger, like you guys were just so hungry to succeed. You had been, what, seventh year before? Yeah. Yeah, and John so, had missed, they'd, they'd had, an, had a great under-23s with Matt and they'd just missed out on yeah. the medals and they were pretty upset about all of that. Yeah. So we were super hungry and it was so cool to, to race with John as well. Yeah, I, I remember racing in the heat and we were racing and the Germans were just a little yeah. up on us and I looked across and they were going max. And we, we were not... Not chilling, but you just comfy, and I just said to John, like, John, what are we, what are we doing, man? Let's win this damn race. <laughs> it was really cool. I think that's when you we started to know, like, okay, now we have we have decent speed. Yeah, and for you, it must have been a great feeling in the final when they came across the finish line first. How yeah, are you feeling? I, I How think, are you feeling I, for the final? I, I mean, think the Canadian pair had Colin Colin McCabe in, who was 
uh, gold medalist and a, a, was a record holder in the eight. Yeah, the interesting part of that together was that we'd beaten them in the semi. So the pressure after the semi just came like flooding in because the guys suddenly realized that they'd beaten the favorites in the semi. So I think they did really well to hold their heads um, and just, just, you know, keep, keep the wraps on the nerves, I guess. I think AJ did very well, <laughs> keeping the rest <laughs> on our nerves. It must have been a, the, the, uh, one hellish week. And no, I remember, so no, it was like, it was quite cool because I remember, so like you finished that semi, now you've beaten the, the Canadians and you're thinking like, sweet, um, like we can do this. you can do this. And like, because the race is so fresh in your head, it's like, you feel good. Then like by that evening, that race feels so long ago and yes. you still now there's other races coming up and, and you start to doubt. But I remember AJ, uh, chatting to us before the race and saying like, what are you guys, what are you afraid of? Like, you haven't won anything yet. You haven't won shit. Like, go out and go get the medal. Don't go, don't worry about losing it. Go, go get it. And I think that was a, a crucial point for us as well. Mm. Yeah, I know that was, it was so nice to see the guys race because it wasn't an easy race. Um, the Canadians drew back level with about five minutes to go mm. in the final. Yeah, I think it was and a close race. You guys won about a second. It was a second between you and Canada. Yeah, I'm not it sure by the end, but there was they definitely put us under big pressure at about 500, 400 to go. They started to to go for it, and yeah, because we had had a good start, we were leading through most of the middle of the race, and then they started to come back. Um, and it was crazy because I mean they were both of them were, were well under six minutes on the yeah. <laughs> John, John John was like a six thirty eight. He won yeah. faster that season in the pair than he had been on the Ogo. And I remember at the after party, uh, Conan lifting John up and like in the air, going like, "How did you beat me?" <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. So yeah, it was absolutely. It was a, such a cool regatta. Yeah, no, really it's, crazy. It was epic. Yeah. And then obviously after after 2010, that must have been great getting gold. And then so I sort of I carried on with the under 23s, and they were mainly pairs. Um, and what happened in 2011? I mean, Lully came second. Second in to mm. Lulutus and Nash yeah. in Amsterdam. Then the following year was um, Vince's first year. He raced with Nolly, and we managed silver. Don't ask me how. But they, they managed to pull it off in the last couple I of years. That was in Trakai. Yeah, Nadi was telling me at like seven years they were like fifth or last and they yeah. just came. It's a, it's a really cool string of results though because very uh, cool you had like me and Johnny learning like a lot from Matt and, and Marie yeah. and almost being in the medals in, in 2009, yeah. especially more Matt and John. And then from there, me and John, then we just had this constant rotation of under 23 heavyweights into the pair and just I mean, and always with one experienced yeah, guy with a medal. It was really, so it was really right. cool. And then, yeah, and then you went into to, to the, the women's side in the, the SA team. Mm-hmm. And that was, must have been a bit of a change, or was it not really that different to, to coaching us as under-23s? You know, you, as a coach, you just take what you're given and you try and tweak it as much as you can to see what you can get, you know. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I, enjoyed work, I enjoyed working with the women. It was it was really tough at times to to put put stuff together. I think the girls were really disappointed with their result in London, and um, it took a while to develop confidence and and um, they really took the bull by the horns and I think um, developed themselves as individual athletes. 
Um, I would have liked to have had um, more competition within the group because it was just a pair. Yeah, but um, I must say the quality of racing and the standard of athletes that I had there was, was, was fantastic and I really enjoyed coaching them, both the women's pair and the women's double, the lighter women's double. Yeah, and we managed to string together some results always sort of in the A-final between 6th and 4th. That's kind of where we were ranging. And I think the girls were performing on a really high level to, mm. to keep knocking those out. So I think the best results for um, for them was probably France. When was that? 2015 qualification mm. year. Um, Nadine and Lee had a, a really good row there. And I think the closest they've been to um, the GB women's pair who were, who were unbeaten. Um, obviously the tragedy of selection before the games with Kate coming in, uh, what, sort of a year, year to go. Sad to only have that competition within the group within the last little while. So um, is, it, is, it, is it quite hard to, like obviously now you have a huge competition as a coach, that's what you're looking for, uh, to have that competition to drive the, the pace of the group up, but it must be, it must be pretty tough to, to make those decisions at the end of the day. Yeah, I think that's the hardest part of being a coach is selection. You do feel for the athletes, you develop yeah, relationships with them. Yeah, close to them. You spend you know, so you, much time with them. Yeah, you see the thrills and spills, you see the emotion, and you know that when when someone isn't in a boat, that you, that's a dream for them that's gone. So that's that's very difficult. So, yeah, no doubt. When and you, you also know, know it really well from being an athlete as well. Yeah. So it must be yeah, pretty intense there. No, it's, it's always difficult. And as long as there's boats and coaches, there'll be selection. And and that is definitely the hardest part. The boat that you see at the Olympics is not always, you know, there's a lot that goes into that, including other people. Yeah, and we, yeah. we often say, like, it's, it's, it's easy to see, see a, a, a race at the games of any sport, mm. and you, you can appreciate that the skill of, of any athlete performing there, but it's, it's hard to see what's gone in behind the scenes and, and what mm. other years have taken. And, I mean, there's, mm. there's so much work and so much... Not sacrifice, but there's a lot of, mm. of of hard yards behind every performance at the Olympics. Definitely, it's cutthroat. And what did you do? You think of your the, the the Rio Games? Well, after the semi-finals day, I thought life was great. Um, and after finals day, I I wanted to dig a hole and climb into it, and someone covered me up. Yeah. But um, that's you know that's that's racing sometimes. Things don't go according to plan. Certainly, in the women's double, um, we, you know we were disappointed. There's no question about that. Having, especially having had such a good semi-final and, and not being able to string together the best race is always yeah. You know, like Paul Jackson says, you can go and tell your dog because that's, <laughs> that's the only person who really understand. Oh, um, but yeah, I was I was incredibly disappointed after the games. Exactly. I think that's that's really tough. But uh, yeah. let's not get uh, too macabre. Yes. Uh, what what would you say is your 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 favorite performance over those those last? Because I mean, they were really really cool races in all of those those years. There, especially like twenty twelve to twenty twenty sixteen. I mean, you had awesome races with with your crews. And so, which ones stand out for you there? Look, I have to say that the first goal with you and joining the pair, um, that result was just surreal because there wasn't the expectation there we just 
we just had an amazing week, even though it was a rough build-up with the, mm. that story. Um, it was just things just went our way, and I, and I think um, not having the expectation just made it that much sweeter. It was just like wow. Other races that stand out for me, um, probably the Lucerne before the Olympics, the women's double. We we placed silver there and we ran the Kiwis to the line. I really executed a good race that we've been working on, you know, changing the race profile a bit, having more speed over the last 400, um, more paced race through the first half. So we, we the race that was executed there was, was fantastic. So that's definitely one of my highlights. Yeah, there have been a lot of races. I think you got me on the spot as well <laughs> because there's so many races. But another race that actually, thinking back, stands out to me is Leonardine Dean in Amsterdam beating the Kiwi pair in their heat. Yeah. They had a cracking row. That was, that was probably, in my view, one of the best rows they had in the whole cycle. Yeah. So, yeah. AJ, we, you know, we've been chatting a lot about the, the coaching. Can you, you can speak about your, your philosophy that you have towards coaching athletes and what kind of areas you, you like to focus on and what, what things you, what kind of ways do you enjoy trying to bring out the best on each athlete? At the end of the day, in coaching, you're trying to optimize what every athlete can give. So my, my focus is on trying to get the best out of the individual and for them to understand that they need to give all their best all the time. So they might not be talented enough to, to be an Olympic champion, but if they're in the program and they're doing their thing, they, they must give all their best all the time. So, and that's quite a hard line to keep. I'd say that's the overall philosophy. The way that I approach it, obviously we've got various elements. We've got technical elements, we've got physical elements. And we've got also psychological elements. Having studied psychology, I tend, I don't know if it's because of that or just my personality, but I do tend to be quite accessible to, to the athletes, but I'm very hard on them as well. So there is a human touch. I can, I can understand people's difficulties or their, um, you know, what, what they're going through. But at the end of the day, our currency is results. So I have to keep holding athletes to that, to that standard. To that standard. And I think Roger's the same as me. You know, we have slightly different coaching styles, but at the end of the day, we have extremely high standards and we demand that of athletes every day in order to get the performance. And did you have the same kind of approach when you were coaching schoolboys? Because obviously when it comes to rowing South Africa, you've at least got the, have the assumption that the, the people that are, you're coaching, have a degree of, of seriousness yeah. and drive towards a greater goal. Whereas in schoolboys, it's not, near, it's not nearly as elite. You do have schoolboys that are focusing quite hard on it, but you have others that are not. I'd say it's much more difficult at school level. Like, I think I'm suited to the elite environment because I, I expect people to be motivated by themselves. I don't want to be begging people to do stuff. And it, and it angers me when I see athletes with, within a program, ducking and diving, or like I said at the beginning, not giving up their best, because I expect their best all the time. So at school, I find it very difficult, you know, to, to keep motivation up or to to maybe be softer on athletes that, that weren't naturally motivated. Uh, I find that I find that very difficult. Whereas here, yeah, it's it's a lot easier. Either you're motivated to do it or you're not. Like, 
So is that what, yeah, so you, that's what you're looking for in athletes, especially in the national team, is an athlete that is, is going to come and and every stroke, every 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 session is applying themselves to the max of their ability. Yeah, I think Roger's done well creating a system that's competitive, number one, and number two, that has momentum. So once you're here, you, you, you kind of, you get pulled along by everyone's energy of yeah. hard training and, you know, no, the train is moving. The train is moving. Oh, that's that's a good analogy. Um, so I think I think that that motivation is, is the system helps achieve motivation. Whereas when you're isolated on your own, it's 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 a little it's bit more difficult. But but certainly we would demand that athletes are motivated by themselves to succeed. Yeah. And then and then where do you see the the team going from now until Tokyo or, or past Tokyo? Well, I think Roger and I are the same, like bigger, better, faster. We, we want to go higher. We want to do more. We want to have more crews being successful internationally. At, at this stage, I think we've got a young team and we've got a few athletes out, as you guys well know, and we see huge potential, um, but it is always daunting in a new, <laughs> I say new cycle, it's qualification next year. but. Um, we have some young athletes that we that we need to blood, and we we really need to see um, raise up to the senior game. Yeah, because I think our under twenty three level is, is probably one of the strongest we've had it for for a long time now. But to translate that into into the senior team by twenty nineteen is is the challenge. Yeah, that's it's a big challenge, and also with that in mind, is that the senior team is the priority. I think Roger and I will, will try. And Marco and all the rest of the coaches that are involved will try and um, push for more. I mean, better boats, faster boats, more boats, um, no, that's, as much as we can. That is what the, the team no. does, and that's, but, that's the goal. So uh, let's let's uh, let's wrap things up and go on to to our quick fire questions. questions. Um, so if you could race or coach any any boat class at the Olympics, which which one would you want to do? Um, I like the pair, personally. Um, I guess it's just my experience. I've been lucky to have some some fantastic boats and, and crews. For me, the pair is a beautiful boat if it's rowed well. So then, moving moving on to the next one is if you could choose any three people in the whole world um, from any time or anywhere uh, to race in a Coxus Four with you, who would your your three crewmates be? Sure. Um, one would be Ramon, definitely. He's, he's incredible. I guess one would like to mix it up a bit. Because I'm thinking like, yeah. would it be the fastest four, would it just be people that I'd like to row with? There's, yeah, I guess there's a few people that respect in rowing. And I know this is, this is going to be out complete left field. But Rebecca Skarn, that Kiwi girl from the pair, is a psycho. Like, yeah. I'd love to just, Such I'd love to just sit in a boat and just see how she goes, she cranks. Because I, from the outside, watching her as a coach of another crew, I don't think I've ever seen someone who just loves racing so much and he just wants to go and crank. So that would be the, the next one. Jeez. The next. Maybe my old man as a kid or my old man as a, as a youngster because he always he was always very competitive and also like... Did he row or? He didn't row, no. Okay. No. But uh, if he did right, yeah, mean, no, it would be going, going really cool. Yeah, yeah, we're going there. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's an really interesting cool. four. Remind yeah. 
Remind Dick and <laughs> your dad and yourself. Yeah, yeah. I don't power. know how fast it would go. That's though. the powerful. But it's not, a, it's, it's yeah. not a question about the suite. It's just like yeah, the people. Yeah, that just to, to sit in a boat with those those three people would yeah just be so incredible yeah. and just learn so much and, and it would just be very special. So yeah, and, and good answer. And then and looking over your your years of, of watching racing internationally and look watching your teams and. And other teams. What is it, what is your favorite race that you find yourself watching over and over again? That eight we were talking about earlier. So the back and back, back and back race. Eight and like that GB eight was just for me just absolute class. Love watching that just from a technical point of view. And then the other one is Red Grave's last gold. Um, I just thought it was a great race. Those Italians took them to the line. The fact that they were just having a crack at this huge media. It was a, yeah, the GB4 was a huge media crew. I mean, it was massive. Yeah, I mean, you have Redgrave going for his fifth gold and massive year for him, uh, for, for GB. And yeah. like, the, must, the focus must have just been completely on him. And it's incredible that they managed to deal with that pressure and still come away with yeah, it. Yeah, and the Italian crew really didn't give it to them. You know, it was... It's actually a fascinating thing about uh, the GB4s over the years is how much... How much pressure some of them have been under, yeah, and, and how pitches. close some of the races have been, and they still, still managed pitches. to to win those golds on those years. Definitely. Yeah. This is the big one you want to ask him. Yeah, Ace. What is or was your your two K PB on the on the Oog? It was six oh six point something. Okay. You have to ask Christian. And then the last question is, if you were to choose a different sport to, to go to the Olympics in, uh, what would it be and why? It wouldn't be the Olympics, it would be surfing. Okay. Surfing. That is, Otherwise. seriously, that's But it could be the Olympics because Tokyo 2020 has surfing in it. Yeah, I've always enjoyed the ocean and surfing and yeah, I just think it's an amazing sport. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, world tour. Sweet surfing, age. I think that'll be fun. Great okay, answers. Thanks for, for letting us uh, get, get so deep and uh, get really into it. Sure. Really, really cool interview. Thanks no, very much. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks, thanks AJ. Ciao. Cheers. Done. Awesome. What do you have now? Ergo. Ergo. Hey, it's Jake and Lawrence again. If you're enjoying the show, please share it and let your friends know about it. Also, don't be afraid to leave a comment telling us what you liked, what you didn't like, or any ideas that you have for the show. And you can leave that at theroadshowsa at gmail.com. That's theroadshowsa at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook and contact us there if you just search The Row Show or on Instagram uh, where the tag is at roadshowsa. You can find us on Instagram. Uh, I'm at Britain L, so that's Britain underscore L. And you can find Jake at at Jake Milton Green, all lowercase, all one word. You can also find any info or links on this week's episode in our show notes below. Thanks for listening in. Thanks for listening in. We out. I think we're good at that, hey? That was fucking sounding good, yeah. dude.